Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are back with just under two weeks to go until the NFL draft to talk about some of the positions that we haven't gotten around to quite yet. Last week, we really talked about everything with Justin Mello, a great episode. I would highly recommend everyone go back and watch that. The week before Justin came on, we spent a while talking about the receivers. In this episode, we're going to talk about the edge rushers. We're going to talk a little bit about cornerbacks, too. Uh, But we're also going to get into overall draft strategy for the Titans. We're going to have that conversation again because I, I think there are some more questions we need to consider, some more ideas we need to discuss as we look at the Titans' overall draft situation. Before we get into the Titans, though, I do quickly want to talk about the biggest national story surrounding the NFL draft, and that's the third pick, because the third pick is thought to be a little bit up in the air. Obviously, the 49ers know who they're taking, but a week ago, when we recorded the podcast with Justin, it was Mac Jones. It's definitely Mac Jones, and now it's Definitely Justin Fields. Well, actually, maybe not definitely Justin Fields. Maybe Mac Jones. Well, maybe actually you get where I'm going with this. We're kind of being thrown all over the place by the, you know, draft media, rumor mongers, those sorts of people. Uh, So my question to you guys is, what do we think is actually going to happen? Because as I said to you two a moment ago before we started recording, I'll believe Mac Jones at three when I see it. Yeah, I I mean, I've already mentioned on this podcast, well, when we talked with Justin last week, and I asked him about this exact thing, and I just said that I just can't see, I just can't see Mac Jones being the pick, although pretty much everyone to this point had been saying that it was almost a lock, even Adam Schefter came out uh, and said that it's virtually a lock. I just, I just cannot believe that Kyle Shanahan, one of the best offensive minds that we've had in the NFL in the past 20 years, would give up so much draft capital to draft a quote-unquote safe pick who really doesn't have much of a ceiling. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's still going to happen, but I still think Justin Fields is going to be the pick. Like It just makes the most sense. 
Uh, I could see Trey Lance also just because they, they are different in terms of uh, how they win and, and their play style. But Justin Fields makes the most sense. Uh, I think he's the the second best quarterback in this draft. I actually think the Jets should take him over Zach Wilson, but it doesn't seem like they will. But I don't know. I think it should be Fields. I do think it'll end up being Fields at the end because it's kind of hard to just dismiss his performances for the past couple of seasons, uh, especially this past season, especially in the college football playoff against Clemson. I think he did it with, with broken ribs. I don't remember if it was that exact game, but he balled out. And his 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 tools are just they're too much to pass up, in my opinion, uh, especially for a team that is in really good shape like the 49ers. They have a lot of offensive talent. They have a lot of defensive talent and they have one of the best offensive coaches in the league. So I think that's what they should do. And I think that's what they will end up doing. Yeah, I mean, I honestly have no idea what they're going to do, because if you think about it, all this does, this whole speculation on the third pick, all it does is make them look stupid because it makes them look like they either, A, don't have a guy that they think is clearly the number three, like that can lead the team, or they are trying to make this weird smoke screen for no reason because there's no, there's no point to it. Who are you trying to trick? Because it's not going to affect the one or the two pick. The three pick isn't going to move up with you. You trade it up. It just it doesn't make any sense. So if you're convicted in somebody, what they should be doing right now is talking about how great Mac Jones is and telling everybody in the world to say, talk about how good Mac Jones is. If it's not Mac Jones, why on earth was that ever mentioned? Because it doesn't make it it, it doesn't do anybody any good. It, like it, it does like on the off chance that Mac jo- people accept Mac Jones as the number three pick then it makes it look like you backtracked. I don't get it at all. Now, what should they do? I I think Trey Lance is the most fun option because they've got Garoppolo. He's got a no-trade clause. It's not like they can just move him wherever they want. So why not get somebody with high upside who, you know, apparently is, I don't know if you'd call him raw or underdeveloped, but his skill set, people like it a lot and, you know, cool. Like, put him with a quote-unquote offensive genius and let him thrive. Like, it, I, I just uh, that makes the most sense to me. I think he either goes three or four, but three is where the whole draft actually starts. And the only reason we don't know what that is is because the 49ers are doing a meaningless smokescreen. So, what are they going to do? I don't know. But no matter what they do, I think less of that front office because I think they were either really interested in going towards Mac Jones and then backtracked off of it because pu- you know, public perception got so negative and so many people hated that. Or they moved up and just thought, you know, we don't know who, we, who we're going to get at three, but we know that we're okay with any of these three guys and we just don't want Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, I think that's a bad look because at that point you're just saying anything's better than this, but you're still probably going to have to trot Garoppolo out onto the field to open the season. So I, I don't know. It, it's just a cluster. I, I think it's poor optics either way. Hopefully it's fields or Lance and not Mac Jones, but you know, we'll, we'll see. I think it was Will Brinson who tweeted that if it is Justin Fields, the Mac Jones stuff was the most over the top, useless smoke screen in NFL history. And, you know, I'll say this about Mac Jones. I don't know that his ceiling is better than Jimmy Garoppolo's. 
I mean, I feel I feel like I've become the Jimmy Garoppolo defender. Like, if you're wanting to go take Justin Fields or uh, Trey Lance, one of these like really high upside quarterbacks with the athleticism, sure. But running and trading future first round picks to trade for this average dude when you already have an average dude. I don't know, man. Like, I I think we are forgetting what Jimmy Garoppolo can do. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo is very limited as a quarterback, but Jimmy Garoppolo was in a Super Bowl just over a calendar year ago. You can do things with him. He is limited, and I have no problem with upgrading over him. I just think that a lot of analysts are acting like anyone would be an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, like people are acting like we're talking about Teddy Bridgewater or Terod Taylor here. Talk about Jimmy G, who's been in the Super Bowl. Let me put on my anti-Jimmy G hat for a second. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I look, I have been saying this for years. I think Jimmy Garoppolo sucks. And let me just say, I... I, let me just say this in favor of Mac Jones. Mac Jones doesn't turn the ball over very often. He's very careful with it. With it, he's very safe. Uh, he's very accurate from a clean, very clean pocket. And if his guys can get open, so in the right system, I think he could be effective. Uh, the thing with with Garoppolo is he just turns the ball over. Like any sign of of pressure, he's throwing the ball in the double and triple coverage. And he's negatively affecting his team. I think that's the that's the issue that Shanahan has with Garoppolo. In addition to him also being injured all the time, I, th- I think that's also a factor in this. Uh, so that may be a reason why he wants Mac Jones because he really turned the ball over and, and he's careful with it. But that doesn't win you the Super Bowl, man. Like I, I know Tom Brady has won the Super Bowl like that, but Tom Brady is one of the most efficient quarterbacks. Uh, in terms of executing a system and, and getting the ball to, to to the open guy in, in NFL history. And Mac Jones is just never going to be that guy. So it, it just wouldn't make sense to me for, for Shanahan to go that route. But I do think he, he would be an upgrade over Jim Garoppolo. Probably not in his rookie season, but maybe in his sophomore year or the year after that. I do think he will be better than him. But you have to take into account that I really do not like Jimmy Garoppolo and I just never have. Yeah, and as much as we don't like it, quarterback wins, that, that stat is real to some people. And Garoppolo's won 75% of the games he started in. Like, he started in 32 games, and he's won 24 of them. Like, that's appealing. Like, I, I, I've i seen people commit to a lot worse quarterbacks. But, I mean, think about Matt Castle, how long he stuck around in the league. And I'm not saying that Garoppolo's Castle, but what I'm saying is, they gave him that deal thinking that he was going to be the next starter. You know, sunk cost is sunk cost. You got to move on at some point. I get that. But at the same time, you don't want him to be the next Alex Smith where he goes somewhere else, is really good, and then it looks like you wasted all this draft capital on somebody who's worse or equal to. I, like, I, I, I get I get that concern, and that's why they haven't officially cut bait with him. But they've done such a weird switch over the last, like, you know, I, I and and I will say this: he's injured a lot, and I think that's a big part of it. So I guess that's where the switch in stance comes from. 
and people say, you know, they really hold not winning the Super Bowl. They they hold that against Garoppolo. I don't know, man. Like they were up in the fourth quarter, like against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Like it, they they had Mahomes in like fourth and fifteen, and they let him convert it. Like it's not like they were the team that went and lost ten three. That was the Rams. Like that they actually put up points in the Super Bowl and looked like a functional team. Like it's it's not really his fault that they lost the Super Bowl. So. I go back and forth with it. I think he's kind of going to have a Kirk Cousins trajectory, but he doesn't have the yardage that Kirk does. So I, I just don't know where he fits on the spectrum. Like, is he Andy Dalton? It's like, I don't know. Like, I think he's better than Andy Dalton, but I, I don't know. If if you really don't have a top 10 or 12 quarterback in the league, you've got to make a trade. And they obviously feel like they're close enough and they have a good enough roster now to go to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl if they can get a functional quarterback. And that's why they made the move. But yeah, I'm kind of torn between both of y'all because I'm not defending Garoppolo. But it's also not like he's 2-14 and 14 and they're going to give him another shot. He's not Jacoby Brissett. Like, they, they didn't give him a two-year $50 million deal because he's been terrible his whole career. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think he's going to be that fringe backup, really, like, high-end quarterback two that gets quarterback one money one more time. But I, I feel bad for the guy because if he stays healthy, I think he's – a decent quarterback, but he just can't do it. Yeah, I, I think Jimmy Garoppolo's biggest weakness is his ability to stay available and stay on the field. Let's move into Titans discussion. And, and I want to start with this because, as, as I mentioned at the start of the show, we're going to talk some about edge rushers today. Do you think the Titans need an edge rusher in the first round? Because this is a limited class in terms of edge pass rushers there's three four maybe five guys at the top that are first round fringe second round guys and then it's a whole lot of of not really much and even the guys at the top have a lot of problems and weaknesses which we will get into but I tend to think if you're John Robinson because edge is a need but if you go back into free agency and spend three, four million bucks on a Ryan Kerrigan or a Justin Houston or a Melvin Ingram, then I think you're set and can probably wait until day three to add to that position. Because as I have said over and over again, my biggest problem with the edges is not the starters because Harold Landry and, and Bud Dupree are going to do a fine job, I think. The problem is not having them on the field too much and having a third guy who can come in and play, you know, forty percent of the snaps, so that Dupree and Landry only have to play around eighty-five percent of the snaps instead of ninety-five percent of the snaps. What do y'all think about that? I don't disagree that if they do go and get Kerrigan, that they don't really have a pressing need to add an edge until later in the draft. Um, I would like to see them do that, honestly, because. Yeah, it, I don't know. Like, I feel like this cli- class has been getting hyped up as being deep and also being very talented at the top, and I just don't see it. Like, I, I feel like this happens to me every every year that everyone always says the edge class is really good this season, and then I start watching the edges, and then I'm like, I don't really like any of these guys, and I feel like that's happening to me right now. I don't know if any of these edge rushers in this draft— 
are worth it, the 22nd pick in the draft because, in my opinion, Jalen Phillips is, is the best edge uh, draft prospect in this draft, but he has serious, like, injury issues. He's, like, one bad knee hit away from possibly having to retire, and, like, that's that's a serious issue. Is he talented enough for the 22nd pick? Absolutely, but you have that problem, and then you look at some of these other guys— and they're they just to me they they're not guys who are going to be elite elite pass rushers at the next level, and the value is just not going to be there at twenty two in my opinion. And I don't know if the Titans really need it because they already have Landry and Bud Dupree who they just signed to a huge contract. So maybe with a day two or a day three guy, they can just supplement those guys and, and they'll be fine. A lot of it depends on what sort of defense they're going to run. And I say that because for two years now, we've seen them run. Uh, they run that three defensive line, one edge, Jack Crawford, Simmons, Jones, like that kind of front with Harold Landry out of the side. But then they add Bud Dupree, and you're like, okay, well, maybe they'll go to more of a traditional four man front. Then they add Danico Autry, and it's like, well, Danico Autry is kind of that Jack Crawford type body. So, okay, what what are they going to do? I don't know how they're going to use the pieces they have already. And we may see some uh, some plays where it's Danico Autry on one side and Bud Dupree on the other and Harold Landry on the sideline. Or he may be on the second level with the linebackers like we've seen him line up before. Like, Or he may be the slot corner. We've seen them do that too. Like nothing's out of the question with Shane Bowen and Mike Vrabel. So I don't – I don't know what they need. I don't know what they want to be on defense. I know they want to be aggressive. I know they want to rush the passer, but I don't know how they want to do it. So that's such a big part of this because let's, and there's another factor that I'll talk about in a second, but let's say that they want to be what they were last year, but they want to do it with better players. Okay. Well then you really don't need another edge rusher. Like, I mean, you always quote-unquote need another edge rusher because you can never have too many guys, but Landry, for the most part, is a 90% or above snap guy. Bud Dupree's the same way. If you get Nico Autry in there, he should be able to play base end or, or that five technique in that front and let one of those guys take a breather on the side and everybody's happy. So, okay, what would investing a first-round pick in an edge give you? Not much. But let's say they take Jim Schwartz's idea and they're like, well, we're going to run more wide nine on third down. Okay, now you can convince me that Danico Autry is a three-tech. You use Simmons inside. You pin, let those guys pin their ears back. Or you bring in your first-round edge rusher to line up in a wide nine, which is pretty easy to do. And then you have Bud Dupree come and slant inside the A-gap or the B-gap like you did with Pepper. Like, Okay, that makes sense to me too. But those are two very different things. Now, the other thing that we need to talk about is this, I don't know if you'd call it fourth wave or a fourth wave of free agency or this secondary free agent market that's going to come about, but people have talked about this and we've sort of seen veteran free agents talk about this through Twitter. I think Steven Nelson said something about it today, but it's these veteran guys that understand the value for them is not out there right now. So they're going to do the clowny thing where they sit out through the draft, but unlike clowny, they're actually going to sign after the draft and not in September. But they're going to say, okay, 
there's teams like Tennessee that might need another edge, but they might go Christian Barmore in the first round. And because they load up at defensive tackle, they end up saying, we'll push edge back to a day three pick or we'll try to find one of these veterans. Well, then by the time the draft's over, you have easy to find spots. You can say, okay, these are the three teams I want to go to bid for me and I'll take the highest offer. So if you're the Titans and you say, okay, we've got four top 100 picks. Can we draft in no particular order, wide receiver, offensive tackle, tight end and defensive tackle with our first four picks and then just sign one of these veteran edges. And the Giants. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. Like, you know, you can throw a cornerback in there too. Like there's different ways to look at this. So I don't think since they've invested so much in the pass rush, whether it's Autry or Bud Dupree, that I don't think that they're locked into edge in first round, second round, Maybe third round, you start to either you either need to have a guy you're looking at, or you need to say, okay, it's a wash. We're going to go after a free agent. But I really don't think they're pinned anywhere. I, I have to agree with that, and I think a lot of it will come down to who is there for them, particularly in the first round, because it's one of the beauties of having so many needs is you can kind of do BPA of four or five different positions at that 22nd pick, whoever falls to that point. So I'll pose this question based on that. Who is the best edge that has a realistic chance of falling to the Titans? Because I I feel like Jalen Phillips is not going to be an option. Um, But, and and there's one other um, that, that I'm, that is, Escaping me, he has a very funny name. I, I don't know why he's ex- escaping me. Ojalari. is it? Yes. Ojalari is probably not going to be there for the Titans at twenty-two. Beyond mm-hmm. them, well, okay. So I mean, so what do we think? Who, who's the best edge the Titans can get at twenty-two realistically? Well, I don't like Ojalari's, but I I think he will. I think he could be there because I just like I said, I don't think these guys are all that all that great and i don't know how teams view them but i would assume they view them in a in a similar fashion uh i know teams always love sec products and ojalari had uh some decent production and apparently he played great against alabama even though i didn't see that but other than phil i mean i could even see phillips falling just because of his medicals uh but he does seem to to be mocked going in the top 15 after him like I don't think there's anyone else that that I, I don't see falling. Like I could see Quiddy Pay being there. I could see Ojolari being there. Uh, Russo's more of a hybrid, not a, a pure edge. I think he's also probably going to be there. Owe is going to be there. Osai is going to be there. Like I could see all of these guys being there, but I still don't feel all that comfortable taking taking any of them at 22. Honestly, because I feel like. They're just not going to make enough of an impact, both because they're not all that talented and they're not very polished pass rushers. There just aren't that many in this draft. I mean, Owe had, I I, I found this out before the pod, uh, Will broke it to me. Jason Owe from Penn State had zero sacks last year. I don't know how many games they played, but they played enough for him to at least get one sack. Like, that's really bad. And 
it's like that with these other guys. They really weren't all that productive over the, over the past few seasons. And when you look at them on tape, they're just not that dynamic and, and just not that great. And then add to that that the Titans already have two starting edge rushers. I just I, I don't see them taking an edge at 22. But if they do, I would like for it to be Phillips if he's available. And then my, my next guy would probably be Quiddy Pay because I mean, I just I love his energy. I love his motor. Uh, he's incredibly, incredibly strong, never gets pushed back. Uh, he, he's a little limited and probably needs some work. But I just like that type of player. And I think bringing a fresh guy like that uh, to, you know, to come in for Harold Landry or Bud Dupree, maybe on some passing downs or whenever they need a breather, I think uh, that would be really good for the defense. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing because the the guy who fits best to me is Osai, Joseph Osai from Texas. I think he can do the most things for you, and I think his effort and production fits what they like the most. I also think that he's too not even limited. Like the the league just, and maybe this is just public perception. It'll change during the draft, but the perception of him is that twenty two would be too rich for him. But if you trade down to the top of the second round, he's going to be a steal. It's like I, I don't know how much value we should put in that. But if you're just looking for a guy who is the best fit and who I think they'll like the most, then Osai is probably the guy. Now, if you're talking about the, somebody they could draft with the most upside, it's probably going to be Phillips because I think he'll fall uh, farther than people think because, uh, I mean, he's got those huge medical red flags. Like People say if they're if uh, front offices aren't worried about the concussions, they're worried about his like wrist, I think. like It's either his wrist or his ankle. One of his joints has like a big medical red flag. So uh, that, that's, that, that's bad, but, you know, like – that that's kind of the the dice you have to roll with that you know if you're if you're taking an edge that you think's got high upside like there's got to be something wrong with him if he falls down that far and of all the red flags you could have injuries is probably the ones the titans are most willing to overlook and instead of character or lack of production or anything like that i like russo but I don't think the Titans are going to like him as much as I do just because there's not a lot of production. He seems more like a guy where you've got to, and you can, you can make the argument that nobody fits what the Titans have on their roster better than Russo because he's an easy plug and play three technique on pass rush downs. That's it. Like his rookie year, just use him like that. Sort of like how they use Harold Landry where it's like, okay, pass rush, you're going to play, outside the shoulder of the tackler tight end and you're going to rush you're going to do what you do best that that's what they did and it worked and he's developed and he's really good they could do the same thing where they said you're our Zadarius Smith you're going to line up in the big gap and you're going to rush and you're going to use your length and quickness to mess up guards we'll worry about training you to be an actual edge next year like we're just going to put you in a position to succeed but again you know how much does it hurt him that he opted out this year and he only has one year as a starter and he really only recently converted to defensive end slash edge, whatever you want to call it. So uh, as much as I wish they would take him and find a way to get him, I don't think they'll get him. Uh, so yeah, like if they have to take an edge in the first round, which they obviously don't, but if you're asking me who I think fits the best, it's probably Osai, even though that's not the, you know, it, he's going to look like he has a second round value on most boards. Matias, you're someone who is familiar with the Miami guys 
probably more than the two of us because of where you live. Jalen Phillips and Gregory Rousseau, both are interesting players to me. Will, you made the comparison earlier of Gregory Rousseau to Zadarius Smith. Just about everyone thinks Jalen Phillips is going to go higher than Gregory Rousseau. What do you think that those two players in particular would bring the Titans? Are you asking me or Will? Either one. Either one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> they're very different players. And I actually find it kind of weird that Phillips is kind of shot up draft boards while Russo just seemed his stock is completely dropped. Uh, I don't know if it's because of the pro day, but people point to the one year of production. Jalen Phillips only has one year of production also because he had, like I said before, the injury problems at UCLA. Uh, I think he only played two years and he ended up having like four and a half sacks within those two years. Uh, and then he had to medically redshirt, then set out a year because of the transfer thing. And then he finally plays again in 2020 uh, at UM, and he's kind of reborn. And the only reason that he was incredibly productive is because Russo opted out in the first place. He took his position, uh, and he ended up getting a lot of the production that Russo probably would have. Sure, they would have been able uh, to coexist, but... It's just weird to me that Phillips gets all this hype. And I know a lot of it is because of the pro day. He tested fantastically, uh, and Russo didn't, although I didn't think Russo's pro day was all that bad. He had a bad three-cone time. But anyone who had watched him play up until this point probably would have told you that was going to happen because that's just not his game. He's not a bender. So in terms of what they would bring, I see Phillips as—I think he could play— 3-4 edge pretty efficiently. I think he's more of a 4-3 defensive end. Uh, I know all these positions like don't matter. We're, we're in an age of like positionless football, but I, I do think he would thrive in more of like... Actually, I think, I think he reminds me a little bit of, of Joey Bosa, uh, although he's a little bit smaller, but he has a couple of flashes like that. Uh, he also has, has great motor. He just never stops working. He's really good in run defense as well as as being a solid pass rusher. So I, I think he could be a uh, a, ver- a starting caliber edge uh, in the NFL. And Russo, we've talked about this in the past, and Will talked about it a little earlier. He's just at his best when he's playing three technique, when he's on the interior, because he's so quick against these guards and these centers that they just can't, they can't stop him. And I understand it, it, it was in college, and the, the ACC does have... Well, no, the ACC is good. They have a lot of good teams, uh, and he had production against them. We'll see how he fares in the, in the NFL, but he's just a guy that will give you a lot of versatility because he's kind of like that clowny type of player, and he has this, a similar body, uh, but he can win both on the edge, although he's not that great at bending, but he's very powerful, and then you can shift him inside it, and he'll win with quickness against slower guards and centers, so he kind of gives you a little bit of everything, and yeah, I agree with Will. It depends what kind of defense they're going to run and what exactly they want, and we just don't know. Yeah, and I think one other big factor, we kind of touched on it, but we didn't say it specifically because I'm not going to rehash what we've already talked about, but Phillips played like classic, 
you know, four, three defensive end. Like he played what an edge should do. And that's kind of where he thrived. He played outside shoulder of the tackle or he played inside or heads up with tight ends. He took on pulling guy, pulling guards, like H backs. He, he did all the kind of stuff you want to see when you're looking at a guy. And I think he's the former number one overall recruit in 2017 or whenever his class was. So you've got a guy who you saw, he looks like if he's healthy, he was really dominant. He was good. He won as a pass rusher. He won as a run defender. It, you know, he kind of did everything you want to see that guy do. Plus, he's got the pedigree of being the top guy, like a five-star stud. He's kind of got that redemption arc of that the medical guys told me I couldn't do it, but I said, I you know, I said I'm not worried about getting hurt. Sign me up. Like football guys eat that stuff up. Like. Then the athletic testing was good. I, I think all of that combines in this. Plus, it's a weak edge class just at the top, and people are looking for somebody other than Quiddy Pay to be the top guy. And Ojolari too, I guess. But he kind of fits all that story to where you're like, okay, I can see this weaving into a narrative that a team tells themselves on draft day to really sell themselves on a guy, even if there are some big concerns about him. So. You know, like I, I think they both got problems. I think that guys like Caleb Farley and Phillips are more risky than somebody like Rousseau because Rousseau doesn't have any real red flags. It's just he didn't play this year. He only has only has one year of production. So, you know, it's it's what red flags you're more comfortable with. Are you more comfortable with a guy who's developed and who's spent the most part of the last four years in locker rooms and the weight rooms getting better and developing into an NFL frame? Or do you want somebody who's six foot five has some vertical explosion, but not a lot of bend, but who was dominant and was second in the league in sacks as a 19 year old behind chase young, like who just didn't play last year? Like which one of those guys are you more willing to roll the dice on? Because I think you could make the argument that once you factor in everything, that both should have pretty similar grades. Uh, but you know, it, it's, it's all what flavor ice cream you want. Like, and it's all about how creative your coaching staff is. If they're afraid that, well, Russo can only, <laughs> well, we know the place. Titans have that yeah. working in their favor. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, I mean, well, here's, here's the problem with that is, Vrabel and Shane Bowen may look at Russo and think, you know, we're smarter than everybody at the college level. We know exactly what we're going to do with him. Like, if they only used him at defensive tackle and it in the B gap, we're smarter than that. We'll put him in this other position we've never yeah, seen him in yeah, and he's but never the, played. The, the problem with that is John Robinson doesn't operate that way. That is that is correct. And luckily, there's that safeguard against this thing completely going off the rails. But yeah, like I think both of them are risk. I think both of them are going to be guys that the Titans don't have first, like pure first round grades on because I think there's just too many concerns around them. But they do bring you different things, and they both are interesting for different reasons. Uh, I'm guest co-hosting the Titan Up podcast for A to Z Sports this next couple of weeks, and, and we recorded our, our first episode this morning. And one of the things I, I brought up there that I want to get. Your, your guys' thoughts on now is I think the Titans need to use this draft primarily for being better in 2021 in the sense that I want every single pick to move the needle 
for the Titans in terms of win-loss record and playoff success in 2021. Now, going back to 2020, I thought that every pick other than Isaiah Wilson, because, you know, had that gone well, what we all expected was him to sort of redshirt and then step in this season. Uh, but but I thought every other pick last year made sense to that end. Christian Fulton was, was supposed to and did slide right in as the nickel. Darrington Evans was supposed to be this explosive player that was going to uh, really help them on offense and so on and so on and so on. Obviously, a lot of that failed. A lot of that we'll have to wait till this year to see if it uh, works. But I think that every pick the Titans make in this draft, because of all of the players they've lost, the cap casualties, and because last year's draft, particularly the first-round pick, was so underwhelming, I want every pick the Titans make in this draft to move the needle in terms of win-loss record and playoff success. That being said, do you think that a Gregory Rousseau or, or whoever they would take at 22, considering that they already have Bud Dupree, considering they already have Harold Landry, and considering that a free agent veteran would be very easily had afterward, in the first round, does that guy, whether it's Russo or someone else, move the needle for the Titans at edge? Well, I have said on this very episode that I don't think a lot of these edges would be values at 22. I do think they would help the team pretty substantially. Like, you can never have enough enough edge pass rushers. You just can't on today's NFL because teams pass so much, uh, and you have to be able to rush the quarterback and put pressure on him if, if you want to win. We saw last year, yeah, they won 11 games, but they didn't get any, any farther than that. Uh, and they struggled to win 11, 11 games because their defense was awful and they really weren't getting any pass rush uh, at all. So, yeah, I mean, the team would be better would be better if they would draft uh, an edge in the first round so long as they use him correctly. Uh, and, well, if you're talking only 2021, I don't know. It, it's It's kind of tough because I hear so much this argument against drafting a third uh, an edge rusher because he would be uh the third guy and he would play on the bench a lot but then like that guy is going to be on a cheap contract for four maybe five years uh and, and that's that's worth it especially because third edge rushers uh play a good amount but i'm kind of struggling with whether <laughs> with whether it would be it would move the needle for 2021 i actually don't know Let's see what Will thinks. <laughs> I mean, it's it's all opportunity cost. Like, does it cost you? Like, does drafting one of these guys mean that you're going to find a better use to get all these guys on the field at the same time, or does this mean more rest? And do we have it, have any evidence that suggests that more rest for Dupree or Landry is a good thing? Like some guys just prefer to be on the field. Some guys need that feel and that constant understanding of what offensive linemen are doing to them. So, you know, like I have no doubt in my mind that some of these rookies and, and the guy we've talked guys we've talked about a lot, like Phillips and Russo and Osai and all those guys, like they can be good players that I don't know if they're like impact players, but they could be guys who get six sacks and that doesn't sound you know, like a pro bowl level guy, but 
it's very rare to get a rookie who breaks, you know, 10 sacks. And those guys that do usually are guys that are drafted in the top 10 who start every game. But as a situational pass rusher, like a guy who gets six sacks would be something that the Titans haven't had in a while. Like even when they had Iraq Poe, Landry and Derek Morgan, Derek Morgan and Iraq Poe got zero sacks combined, or maybe it was one sack combined, and Landry had four and a half. So, like, even the situational pass rushers in that situation, when you had really good players, you know, weren't putting up great stats, but you could feel a change when Harold Landry came on the field. All that to say, there's there's a way where they could make it an impactful move, but it's hard for me, unless the board just falls terribly for him. It's hard for me to think that spending a first-round pick on edge is going to give you the most bang for your buck. What what position do you think would be the best bang for your well, buck? So, I was about it's to not pivot. tackle. It is yeah, not tackle. It's definitely not. <laughs> not all. I, I, was, I was about to pivot and ask if cornerback is that because I don't really no. know if that is either. Yeah, that, that's sort of what I was thinking too. Because Christian Fulton and Janoris Jenkins are going to be your starters, and so you're just looking for a third cornerback. And even in today's NFL where you're running a lot of nickel, I don't know that that in the first round moves the needle the way it needs to. In the second round, third round, maybe so. You know, receiver, I think, moves the needle. A good tight end, I think, would move the needle. I don't know that that guy's going to be there in round one necessarily, but... That in terms of just purely talking positions, I think that would. I think a, a good. I was gonna say inside linebacker. If it's a if it's actually a sideline to sideline, yeah. knock your head off kind of inside linebacker. Like uh, my friend from Notre Dame, whose name I can't pronounce, seems to be <laughs> yeah. Owusu Kormo. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was like, I wonder if he's gonna say Jeremiah Owusu Kormo. <laughs> yes. J-O-K. J-O-K is the easiest way to say it. I am warming up to the idea of him at 22 if he's there. Because I, I, would, I, I would love it. seeing the Buccaneers it. inside linebackers, I'm just like, okay. Dude, I fell in love. We, we, and I, I've, one said, of those. I've told this story before. The whole time I watched the Super Bowl, I loved Tom Brady. All I could watch was Devin White and Levante David. <laughs> I, I couldn't take my eyes off of them. Yeah, and – it, I knew when I put the highlight film, whenever this was like in December, November, whatever, when I put his highlight film in our group chat that it was going to be a guy that Luke liked because it's a guy who it's like, okay, Luke loves watching like playmaker type guys, like quote unquote, like a guy where you don't have to explain to anybody why that guy's good. Like it it's is why I love obvious. Bud Dupree. It's why as yeah. soon as the Titans signed that guy, I was all in. Yeah, it's like, and, and there's there's a lot of reasons why that's just good common sense because it's like you don't need somebody to explain why Derrick Henry's good. You can exactly. see it. Same thing with AJ Brown. Now, Roger Saffold, somebody might have to sit you down and say like, okay, this is why it doesn't make him any. It doesn't make him any worse than those other guys. But at the same time, it's like if you can see a guy do it, he's valuable. Like. It, it, that, there is a lot of comfort, and I understand that. So, yeah, like, Koromoa is a, I guess it's a Wusu Koromoa, like you have to say the full last name because it's hyphenated, but uh, he is a guy where people are concerned, it's like, is he too light to be an, an, an off-the-ball linebacker? 
Is he? Does he need to play safety? Look, that's that's all that's all nonsense. It's stupid. Don't don't be the one that says that because Darius Leonard played at like two ten last year. Like he he's come on the record and said that. People have talked about it. it. That is what it is. Everybody is so ready to proclaim him the best linebacker that's ever played football. He played at two ten. Levante David, you know Devin White. That all these like lighter guys who are sideline to sideline like. They all play at lighter than what they're listed as, and they all play in that 215, 220 to 240 range at most. And Cormo weighs like, oh, Wusu Cormo weighs like 235. Like, I mean, like, he's going to be, he's going to be fine. He lines up in the slot and he covers like a slot corner. He lines up at a linebacker and he hits like a freight train. Like, I mean, he does everything you want him to do. So I don't think that just any old inside linebacker would be a big boost, but getting a guy who can play off ball linebacker for you, who can play slot corner, who you can use to replace Vaccaro when he would come down in the box, like who can do all those things for you on top of all that, you could just blitz him and he would take somebody's head off in the backfield. Like all that is important and useful to this defense. I mean, y'all know me. I'm, I'm, very critical of the Titans and I, I, I hold them I don't consider myself negative. I just hold them to a very high standard. I don't do a whole lot of cheerleading. I would I would grab the pom poms if they drafted JOK. I really would. I would too. That'd be a good pick. But back, anything but a right, right tackle. Yeah. And back to your question. Although Will Will would be okay with with Tevin Jenkins, apparently. Yo, he's good. He's he's very good at football. <laughs> you back, should watch back. him versus Osai. It's the one bad game Osai has his entire career. Matthias, back to your question as to which positions fit the bill of of moving the needle in twenty twenty one in the first round. Because I, I I think, and we've had this discussion on the show. I, I think the Titans could stand to get more out of their first round draft picks in terms of instant impact. And so maybe in the second, third, fourth round this year, you look for those infrastructure guys, the slot corner, the offensive tackle, the interior defensive lineman. But I think in the first round, they need someone who's going to come in and and like A.J. Brown, who was a second-round draft pick, did, made them better day one. Y'all remember A.J. Brown in that Cleveland game week one his rookie year? No training camp, no preseason. He came right in and ate the Browns alive. They need someone who's going to do that, right? So whether it's a receiver, that's one position, a, a really good outside linebacker like we just talked about. Um, I think safety, I mean, what do you think about that? I, I tend to lean no on safety. I think it would depend on the archetype. Very interesting because literally five seconds ago, I was like, what if they draft a safety at 22? <laughs> I think the only guy is Mulrig, right, from TCU. Uh, I, I think that's the only guy that's like, even in that range. Yeah, I think they'll like Richie Grant better just because he's more like the – because you're not – I think Morig would replace the Kevin Byard like prototype guy. Like I think if you're going to get somebody, it'd be somebody to replace – because uh, uh, yeah, because Hooker's kind of that same thing as Byard too, and they yeah. they want to start him because when he started last year, he and Byard were a good combination. Like I, I don't I don't think they they want to mess with that at all anyway. But I think if they do mess with that, it's because they think they're going to miss an in the box thumper like that kind of guy, which would be more Richie Grant than anybody. 
So I, I'm thinking of asking this question. If you were guaranteed to see, I don't like asking this. I was going to say, if you were guaranteed to get a Hall of Famer, <laughs> which position would you draft? Well, then the correct answer is quarterback. quarterback. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then yeah. pass rusher. <laughs> but Next question. Let, let's put it this way, then. If your favorite guy in this draft class is available, and I'm not talking about like the Kyle Pitts of the world where it's, you know, the unicorn. Your favorite realistic guy for the Titans. So, you know, the edge, if you like Rousseau, that's who's there. The receivers, if you like Terrace Marshall, that's who's there. If your favorite guy is there at 22, which position are you taking? Because they're all on the board in this scenario. I think it's receiver. It's, yeah, for me it's receiver. I would take Kadarius Toney. I know the production's not there, but I think he's electric. He's one of the best route runners I've seen coming out in a really long time. And I was thinking about what you said earlier in terms of a player that's going to come in uh, and immediately have that impact like A.J. Brown did against Cleveland a couple of years ago. I could just picture Kadarius Toney coming in and just dropping cornerbacks and just putting up an 100-yard game in his first game. I just can. Yeah, I mean, you should call him by his uh, rap name, which is Young Joker. Uh, that's uh, Kadarius Tony's other passion. I, I will I will not do that. <laughs> the, ti- <laughs> he, uh, hey, he, uh, the Titan, John Robinson has historically drafted hip-hop artists. Tajay Sharp, Darrington Evans. This could be the next one. Well, I the say next, Wilson. I say Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> problem. The the most recent one got <laughs> a rap career in the middle of his NFL season, and that wasn't great. Uh, I, I, so I think the, the far question, far from the that was far from the biggest problem with Isaiah Wilson. Uh, yeah. So I think uh, your question is kind of like I think it's more like if you could add a Pro Bowler at any position that wasn't quarterback, like where would you add a Pro Bowler? Um, that that's kind of what you're asking. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think wide receiver is the right answer. Like, I think you trade up to get Devonta Smith, but that's that's a whole different thing. I think Elijah Moore is the guy that makes the most sense because he's like uh, AJ Brown's BFF, and Taylor Lewan likes him, and he's incredibly productive, and he's from the SEC, and he can line up in the slot instantly, and he can probably play outside, and he's got four three speed. It's like, yeah, like he does everything you could possibly want from a player. But, you know, just like A.J. Brown did before D.K. Metcalf broke neck, he only played in the slot, and so people were like, I don't know if I'm ready to spend a first-round pick on him, and I'm like, I guess, like, do your own thing, but uh, we haven't seen him, you know, we've seen him line up against J.C. Horn and do well. We've seen him, li- we've seen him tear apart Alabama. Like, you can doubt him all you want and that's fine but when he's good at the next level don't be like ah who could have thought the signs are there like he's very clearly productive like and he's very clearly athletic and his production came with a different system without lane kiffin last year and and it came you know it's not like this is a one-hit wonder thing Kadarius tony's only had one season with more than 200 receiving yards and he's a four-year guy so it's like uh, that like there's much more risky players out there that people don't give those same tags to. But if I, if I'm adding a guy, I think the guy that it, regardless of what happens with the rest of the class, I think he would help this team the most and he fits their profile the best. 
I do want to talk about cornerbacks just a little bit before we close out this episode and, and, and get to stop the nonsense. You know, I, I've seen lots of different names thrown around as guys that could end up uh, being a, a Titan at the end of this. Farley is one that I've seen thrown around. Um, I, I Yeah, Caleb Farley. That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, I've seen some other names, too. As a part of this conversation, though, do we feel like any of those guys are, are, are needle movers? Because the way I've seen it, there's really three, there's really three first round guys. I think there's four. I think Newsom is probably part of okay that group that at 22 you're probably okay with taking. Everyone else after that is. I think they're round two or beyond guy. Um, the interesting thing is the top four guys, they're like, they're big guys and they're purely outside players. So I don't know if the Titans want that. They just signed Janoris Jenkins. He only plays outside. Christian Fulton didn't fare very well in the slot last year and he played outside uh, at LSU. So I just, I don't know if I really see the Titans taking one although Janoris Jenkins is already 32 years old and he's probably I think he's gonna be 33 by the start of the season uh so it wouldn't be the worst idea to uh draft his replacement if you if if the player is is that high on their draft board I'd be hard pressed to not take JC Horn if he's there I mean he could be like a legitimate shutdown guy he looks at times like Patrick Peterson, and I just have a hard time uh, passing on that type of potential at 22. I don't know how you guys see it. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, There's, prob- there's probably going to be four corners that go in the first round just as locks, and then there's two or three guys who might sneak their way in there. So like, you could have six corners in the first round, and I wouldn't be surprised. It would, there would be good value on day two or somewhere else, but – it would not shock me that those corners went high. Um, yeah, I mean, people like Greg Newsom. It, it's been hard for me to find a bunch of stuff like and actually sit down and watch him because uh, you just you just sit down and find him every. There's not a bunch of good cut ups of him, so you have to really painstakingly watch it. And you know, once you find him, it's it's not hard to do. But there's also not a ton of tape out there. So it's like, so when you rewatch it and do it all over, you have to kind of remember where he is. And it's, it's harder to stay in that flow after you've been watching more, you know, meticulous cutups where you see the same guys like highlighted every single, you get to a rhythm. It's like, it kind of breaks your flow up a little bit. He, he looks good. Like, I think, I think everything's fine with him. Like he's, I think he's been top five in, his conference and batted passes and back-to-back seasons, even though he's missed a bunch of games, which bothers me. Uh, he's the guy who probably gets talked about with the Titans the most, along with Farley now, who <laughs> scares me to death because he has back problems. And that's not the only, like, I think he's got like a knee issue too. And it's like, he's got a lot of medical red flags for a guy who's played two years and who's missed two years, basically. So that's concerning. Um, I think they're all good. Like, uh, again, the question is like, what are you missing out on if you take a corner this high, and is the value that much better? Because I think if you take J.C. Horn, yeah, like perfect. You can put him in the slot if you need to. 
South Carolina, I think, put him against Pitts uh, when they played Florida. So, you know, he can move around a lot. He's really athletic. He doesn't have a ton of ball production, but that's fine. Like, he's got the athleticism and the size. You're not worried about it. You can move him and Christian Fulton around and leave Janoris Jenkins on the outside. Like, I've got no problem with that. Uh, Newsom, I think, is more of a boundary guy. So, I, I don't know if I love that one as much. Caleb Farley's really cool when you watch him because he's super aggressive. And, you know, you watch him against Miami in 2019, and you're like, this guy's going to kill somebody. Like, I mean, he, he just looks like a different, like he just plays like he's playing faster and more aggressive than everybody else, which is great. But like I said, having back surgery like two weeks ago or whatever it is, and then not playing this past year is concerning because how recent did the medical stuff come up for his back? Did he think it was going to heal and it didn't, or did he put it off so that he wouldn't have to do like athletic to uh, all that freaks me out. So there's a bunch of guys who, at their best, I think they could definitely make an impact, and not only in 2021, but long-term. But at the same time, it's like there's just too many good slot corners later where I can convince myself I'm going to get a slot corner late on day two or early on day three, plug him in, I've got my three defined starters, and then I'll worry about replacing Jenkins down the road. Like, it's not a pressing need right now, so it doesn't have to become – like, I don't need to – address that right now if I'm worried about moving the needle. It's time, guys, for Stop the Nonsense. Isn't it crazy, though, that now, since we're wrapping up this episode, we've got one more before the draft? I literally just texted you guys, the draft is in 10 days, because I was so shocked that it's that soon. It's crazy. I remember, it's crazy. I remember sending y'all messages when I was like, hey, the draft's in 50 days. And then, like, that feels <laughs> Start like watching, like, guys. Yeah, I was like, let's, <laughs> let's get up to date. And, uh, like, now it's, like, here. And it's, like, it feels like it's, it goes 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. Like, and it all just, like, collapses in on itself. So, yeah, it's, it is wild. It's my favorite weekend of the NFL calendar. I like this more than the Super Bowl. Because it's, it's three days long. Every team is involved. There's so much happening. There's so much going on, especially that first night. I, I, I can't wait. I mean, it, it's, it's going to be so much fun. And, and in terms of you know having a job covering an NFL team, to me, this is the most fun weekend to do my job. I'm excited, although I am getting the second dose of my Pfizer vaccine on right before day two. So <laughs> well, I might be no. feeling like absolute crap for the that is, second or third day. I, poor planning. I, I got Moderna number two <laughs> a week or so ago, and I had no problems other than a sore arm at the site of injection. Hey, let's hope it's just a sore arm because I can tweet with one with one <laughs> hand, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be like bunch of consonants you're like i can't use my vowel hand um i want to start our stop the nonsense because it's uh, not a special edition or anything like that but uh mine is going to be special the edition. comments yeah mine is going to be the comments on matthias's mock draft that he put out today uh so some of these people like uh, again it's jason Goulbolt, uh w- was was somebody who i saw like he, it, you put out just so I can give some context. You put out your like little mock draft that you used uh, the NFL.com website. I'm assuming for, 
and you did it. It wasn't just for the Titans. It was for all 32 picks. And he, he was like, his response was, not a Bateman guy. Have usually stuck him in Baltimore or Green Bay or as early as Washington. And he kept talking. And to me, it's so weird when people jump. Like, not not that he's criticizing, but, but there's a lot of these kind of comments where, like, Ian says, Bengals should take Sewell. Burrow, Burrow needs to stay upright. And I'm fine with all that. But going back to Jason specifically, it's like, I think everybody not, and not to take away from your mock Matias, but like, I think everybody's agreed that Terrace Marshall makes a ton of sense to the Ravens. And like, that's a common connection. They just drafted their first LSU player in however many years last year. Uh, and it, you know, that seems to be some, a group they like, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I, I don't understand why, we've gotten to this point where if you don't put somebody in the same slot, it's like a negative comment on them. Just like the guy who said that Penay Sewell needs to go five when you had Jamar chase, like that when people do mock drafts, it's a fun exercise. And you kind of asked for like what your opinions, what people's opinions were and all that. But what's weird to me is when people sort of like backhandedly suggest, like, I guess you didn't think about this move to this, but, and it bothers me. And I, this is probably not something, cause I don't think I'll do a bunch of mock drafts, but it bugs me as somebody who does do a bunch of mock drafts. And people are like, huh, I didn't think I'd see this to this, or have you not heard that the Ravens might do this? And uh, again, I can't articulate how it gets under my skin, but I'm just like, if this is what I say, like question the picks I made, like, it's got to be something more descriptive than why not this other receiver? It's got to be like, actually, they like that. Like, I'm somebody who looks more at trends. And so when you say, and then I've already talked about this and I'm getting into a rant because I'm working myself up about it. But uh, like, I'll go back to the Bateman thing. Like, the, the Bateman Marshall debate is not settled, but it seems like they have a trend towards going towards LSU players. So, I, I I don't know. I'm gonna stop because I'm gonna go crazy. Like look, I'm because I'm looking at all these and I'm just I'm just gonna stop. But that that's my stop. The nonsense is if somebody makes a pick, you have to come at them with something other than oh why didn't you do this? It's like is there a reason I should have done that? Like uh, I I don't know. I'm just I, I'm gonna mute myself before I say something. Let me <laughs> let me preface this with saying love Jason, love Ian, very cool guys. Uh, but it's true. This does happen almost every time. You post a mock draft. And yeah, I did ask for opinions. And I, well, actually, I said, tell me where, why I'm wrong. But this does seem to happen very often where people just believe that they know exactly what's going to happen. And if you don't have exactly what they think or what the media is saying, that you're pretty much going to be wrong. Uh, like someone else commented, Pitts will go top six. I had him eight. Like, that's two spots away. Like, it's not that crazy. Uh, and then another one of my friends commented, Schefter said Jones is going to the Niners. And I'm like, no, I, I just don't believe it. This is my mock draft. So whatever. Man. Yeah. I will go Which, next. by the way. Oh, go ahead, Matias. R- real quick. I have Mac Jones going 15th to the Patriots. Don't be surprised. I'm probably completely wrong. But don't be surprised if he falls a lot farther than, than people are making it out to be. I don't think the Patriots like him. Like, oh, I, I don't know. I, I think he's uh, Jimmy Garoppolo made over. And I think they're going to draft. Like, I think they're going to trade up to draft him. I like, don't know about that. Um. Okay. Here's mine. Single digit jersey numbers. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. It's a 
supposedly up for debate among whoever committee is supposed to be debating these types of things to where more positions in the NFL other than quarterback and kicker and punter will be able to wear single-digit jerseys. Don't like it. Not a fan at all. I like organization and routine, and I want my linebackers wearing 40s and 50s and 90s. I want my safeties and corners wearing 20s, 30s, 40s. I want my offensive linemen wearing 50s, 60s, 70s. I want my receivers wearing in the teens and the 80s. I don't like this at all. It's weird. Leave that in college. This is the NFL. We're big boys here. We wear double-digit jersey numbers. I, I, it, it is just bizarre to be the notion of watching Derrick Henry run around wearing a number two Titans jersey. Granted, I've seen it before because he did wear that in the preseason, his rookie year. But So maybe that's not the best example. It, it is bizarre to me to think of A.J. Brown wearing number one in the NFL. Well... Uh, imagine AJ Brown wearing forty nine, even better, right? Oh gosh, that's a slow number. He would never. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be wild for you number guys uh, because, like, he won't do it because he's going to get twenty two retired in the Ring of Honor for the Titans. But like, the, there's a world where Derrick Henry changes to number two and then also has the most yards from scrimmage or the most rushing yards that anybody's had in the NFL in NFL history and he does it wearing number two because we've got this 17 game season now and it would just be like the collision of two of your like biggest stop the nonsenses from this offseason <laughs> all right I'll close it out you already know what I'm going to talk about uh, for all you non-soccer people there's this crazy thing going around. There are some European powerhouses that are forming their own Super League. It's going to be uh, 12 to 15 of them plus five invited teams. And pretty much you can't get in uh, unless you have a ton of money. It's just the richest clubs uh, in European soccer playing against each other in their own separate competition uh, just to make money. It's all money, money in control. That's all That's all it is. Uh, and the supposed president of this new league, uh, the president of Real Madrid, one of the biggest and most successful clubs uh, in, in European soccer history. Uh, and he did an interview today, and he really pissed me off because he's just a terrible person. Uh, and I want to read some of these, some of these quotes. Uh, it's really only two. Uh, but here's one. I, he says, I have no personal interest in making this Super League. I am not the owner of Real Madrid, but only the president because Real Madrid is owned by the members. I only want to save football. Uh, very humble, very humble uh, quote from him. I find it hilarious. He says he has no personal interest in making this league, even though he's the founding president of it and he's the one who stands to make money because his club is going to make a bunch of money from this so he absolutely has a personal interest in this uh but the the one the one that really pissed me off he said if young people find soccer matches too long it may be because they are not interesting enough or maybe we might have to make the soccer matches shorter who who i have never once seen anyone complain that soccer matches are too long. They are 90 minutes. 
two 45-minute halves. The entire production is over in two hours. It's the quickest sport in the world, right? There isn't a single sport that, that's quicker than that. Meanwhile, American football is three and a half hours to like four hours. Baseball is almost the same, although they've tried to get shorter. Basketball is like two, two and a half hours. Like, I, I just, this is pure propaganda, and it really bothered me. I have I have something to say about this. Uh, so here's where this is all going to be awesome. Is uh, and and I know you're against it. What's going to be cool is Jeff Bezos is going to buy an MLS team if he doesn't already have one. I actually have no idea if he does or not. Uh, he is going to offer somebody who wants to play in the World Cup because if you play in the Super League or yeah Super League, uh, you're not allowed to play in the World Cup. FIFA has already said. Uh, then he's going to bring in, I'm not going to say Ronaldo because uh, I'm just going to go Messi just because I like Messi more. And I know you do too. He's going to bring in Messi. Who's already kind of like, I don't know if I want to stay on this team anymore. And he's going to bring him into MLS and soccer is going to be a thing in America and it's going to be great for everybody. And it'll be super fun. That's, that's my take on this as somebody who doesn't currently soccer football. not to get too into soccer, but you know what's so ironic about that? MLS is one of two only other leagues in the entire world that is closed in terms of not being open competition where you can get promoted and relegated. So the MLS is pretty much the same as this supposed Super League. So it would be the exact except, same thing. Except you can play in FIFA, right? Like you can play in uh, World Cups if you're in the MLS, right? Yes, you can. So, Although these are all empty threats, man. This is this is like when Roger Goodell make makes some sort of little threat. Oh, I'm gonna find the Titans uh, fifty million dollars in a couple of drafts. Okay, buddy. Never. Here's the thing: is Jeff Bezos tried to buy the Washington Football Team and got blocked by Dan Snyder when he bought the rest of the team. Now he's got all this money that he had bookmarked for a professional football team. And now he can put it into a football team and actually do something with his money that's interesting. And he can bring in Messi and Messi suddenly becomes the face of soccer on multiple continents and uh, in multiple countries. Nobody argues about uh, Christian Ronaldo anymore because Messi scores 85 points a game. Love it. Game. (laughs) Yeah. Check check in, mate. (laughs) All right. That is going to do it for us in this episode. We will be back next week for our annual mock draft. And those of you who have been with us for the last four years know that when we do mock drafts, we don't do what we think will happen. We do what we would do. We, we make picks that we would make as general managers. So we're really looking forward to that. We'll probably have a fourth person on like we did last year just to even it out so that we can evenly divide Uh, 34 picks among us and we're really excited for that that's always a a favorite episode of ours it's a lot of fun so you will want to stay tuned for that next week when it will be just a few days until the nfl draft hard to believe until then for willa matias i'm luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.